the Obsessed Marketer, podcast designed for you, the small business owner looking to jumpstart your business and learn quick marketing strategies that you can take with you to increase your sales, reach, and growth. I'm Andrew Hayes, joined with me today again, Megan Van Ahn. So Megan, uh, we have a very special guest here today. Yes, we do. So we have a guy here, his name is Chris Keller. Chris, why don't you just go ahead, introduce yourself, what do you do, how did you kind of get to this point and what you're doing, explain all. Yeah. Um, Andrew, great to be here chatting with y'all. So I'm Chris Keller. Um, I'm a VP of growth at M&T Bank um, on our new ventures team. So what we do is we build um, really new ventures. So we build startups inside of the bank to help solve problems for real people. Um, and you know, prior to coming to the bank, I had my own growth marketing agency for about six years. I had a really like interesting career path. Um, I went to an engineering school and started as a biomedical engineer couldn't have the calculus, so kind of switched to business and marketing, <laughs> which was uh, kind of a godsend for me. Because <laughs> when I figured out I had to do like Calc 6, and I'm like, all right, I uh, get me out of this real quick. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, graduated uh, from there, got my MBA. Um, and then I started out as kind of a more like traditional product marketer um, at a heavy lifting hydraulic company. Um, but what was interesting about that was I was part of like half of my job was like um, traditional products that we sell. So like figuring out like kind of P&Ls, managing those kinds of things and like more traditional product marketing. And the kind of the other half of my job was in what was called like integrated solutions and growth, which was figuring out like how to identify custom lifting solutions that we could like build for people. So like solve problems for people. Um, really in like the safety of lifting spaces. So like lifting heavy mining trucks and all of these really like wild sort of lifting applications like um, the high roller Ferris wheel in Las Vegas. Um, so things like that. Um, and then I kind of got into the startup ecosystem there. Like Startup Milwaukee was just becoming a thing and there was maybe like 10 or 12 of us in the group and got like really fascinated with um, the startup space and, and the, you know, super hyper small business space. Um, that was right around when um, like HelloFresh and Blue Apron were like starting to get big and like those kind of on-demand delivery services were just starting. Um, DoorDash had just popped up um, and kind of those things. So I went through a startup weekend and like loved it and was like, oh shit, this is like, my jam these like growing these things is super cool um and then i actually got recruited by a health insurance company to be an entrepreneur in residence so build startups inside of this large huge financial like insurance company that's just like literally works on just like literally paying out health insurance claims um, but our job was to solve problems for people who have ongoing medical conditions so we tried to make healthcare more affordable for them which was like wild to think about, but we built some really cool early, like early stage things, um, like telemedicine platforms for college kids um, who have like anxiety and depression that, you know, wanted to keep um, their relationship with their therapist going while they left for school. Um, so kind of stuff like that. Um, then I got recruited back home actually to do the same thing in the food space. Um, so I did that for a couple of years back here in New York um, and yeah, then realized I really loved like the growth marketing aspect and wanted to kind of do a bunch of different marketing things for a broad like client base. So that's why I started my agency um, about well, this eight years ago now. Um, <laughs> um, so I did that for about you know six years and we had a ton of different clients. So clients that ranged from like we did content programs for Salesforce Marketing Cloud all the way down to um, 
these these cool like big chess set um this chess set company that you see them in like hotels where they're in parks where they're just like huge chess sets you pick them move them around um so we had clients like that too um and then you know i really wanted to get back into the um you know, entrepreneurship space, kind of startup space. So ended up uh, landing this gig as uh, you know VP of growth at uh, at MNT, which allows me to build startups and, and grow them internally here at the bank. So basically, there's nothing that you haven't done. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know a lot. I know a lot about a little. So wait, so Chris, also you specialize in like human centered and empathy focused design and marketing too, yeah. right? Which seems like a lot to unpack a little bit, you know, some big words. Um, could you maybe kind of describe a little bit what that means? What does it mean to be like human centered and kind of empathy focused? Yeah. So I'll start with a couple definitions that my team uses, right? So human centered design is really just a problem solving capability that puts a human being at the center of the problem. Um, so what a lot of businesses do is they put their product or service in the middle and they try to tell stories about their product and service that help solve problems. That's how it's just been done forever, right? We try to tell stories um, about the products to sell the products. So what human-centered design does, it, it starts with a problem that a person has. So a real human being, you look at that, again, human-centered right at the middle of the bullseye is a person. Solve the problem for the person. And then we talk about empathy and like how we define empathy is a little bit different. Um, you know, Traditionally, empathy is, you know, talks a lot about like walking in someone else's shoes and things like that. Where we sort of take a different approach and think of empathy as, um, you know, you, you'll never really be able to walk in somebody's shoes. You'll never be able to experience their lived experience and understand their lens of the world. Um, but what we can do is we can really listen and hear their stories and we can believe their stories to be true. So I think that's a big thing, right, is, is you know, I can try to walk in someone else's shoes. I'll never have that lived experience. But if I really believe their stories to be true, then I can take their stories and I can tell them to the world. And as a marketer, that's like a dream scenario, right? To really have a human being that you understand and understand the stories that they have. You can find problems inside of those stories and build solutions for them and then tell the stories, right? Tell them over and over and over again. And then you see it, you resonate, and then you will inherently buy because you are solving a problem that is deep inside of a story that resonates with you. Yeah, I think this is so important because um, like you really hit the nail on the head where traditionally people are like, well, I have to sell this, right? For example, let's talk about insurance since you worked in insurance and we work with a lot of insurance uh, agencies as well. Like, well, I have to sell insurance. So how can I tell a story about insurance? It's like, no, actually, if it's already designed, we can also think about what is the story that we want to tell about what is the problem that this is, that that insurance actually solves for you, and that's that's my pitch, that's my angle, rather than I'm just pushing this thing on you. Yeah, Megan, like why do we have insurance, right? Because it allows you to feel like you are protecting the people that you care about the most, right? Like, yep. cool death benefits, like okay, like you have life insurance and that's great, but like the reason you have it is because of the people that are closest to you that matter the most. If something were to happen to you, God forbid, they're taken care of. So if we can tell exactly. that story of how you care so much about the people that matter so much to you, and then, you know, you can tell that story and really connect that way versus like, I have these products that would probably be good for you. It's like, well, 
how does that make me feel? Like, how does that make my family feel? How does that make everyone around me feel? And then when you put that at the middle, then you can really tell any story that you want that, that would, that would resonate. So like, just to follow up on that, Chris, uh, why do you think that as marketers or small business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, nonprofit leaders, why should we care about it? Why should we, why should we bother? Yeah. So that is a, a challenge that, uh, we run across all the time trying to get people to, um, you know, we hear a lot about customer centricity, but KPIs are always at the center of things that we do, right? We're in big finance. So dollars are always in the middle of everything. It's how many, uh, deposit accounts get opened, how many, um, how much is deposited in each of those? How are we loaning money out against those? You know, it's all about KPIs and measurement and metrics and regulation and, and you know, and, and, and regulatory things. So, you know, telling that story of why you should care is really important and kind of part of the, the job that we have to do um, as a, a team um, inside of inside of this large financial institution. I think the way you get people to care and why marketers should care is because as the world evolves, into you know things like more inclusive marketing and more uh, storytelling focused marketing. Those are the those are the organizations that are going to win in the long term and actually survive. So like recession proof organizations are the ones that have the best stories to tell from their customers and from their users. Not telling the stories about themselves. They're telling their users stories. So when you can actually tell those, you'll never be hurt by a recession. You can be, nothing will ever happen to you because you are telling the stories of your people, not telling the stories of yourself. You know, I think about brand loyalty and like that stuff doesn't really, really exist, right? Like, I don't know, people buy, I buy the same ketchup that my mom bought because it was in the fridge when I grew up. But like, <laughs> I don't know if it's $5 in the same stuff, like the generic is two, like I'll probably buy that. Like, you know, I don't necessarily believe brand loyalty exists. I believe that resonating with stories exist. So I buy things that remind me of my childhood because it's a story that they effectively told me, right? Um, so, you know, why should you care? Because you should care about people and people matter. Um, and as you care more and more about people, your bottom line will definitely grow. You just have to go all in on, on really caring about people because they matter the most. Yeah, we talk about this a lot when, uh, you know, it can be very easy as a marketer. I'm sure you'll agree that you're like reading all of this data, right? And you're looking at the data, you're looking at the KPIs, you're looking at, uh, you know, customer feedback surveys. And I always uh, remind people and remind myself as well, like, stop and remember that these numbers represent real people, too, um, you know, these are real people's interests. This is real people's feedback. Um, this is making an actual impact on people's lives. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of nonprofits, for example. So, you know, this is having a very deep, profound um, effect in, in their actual day-to-day -day lives. This isn't just black and white numbers um, on a spreadsheet. They're human beings, right? And like every person has a story to tell and when you really think of and put people in the middle and not your numbers and customer and like all of the user data and all that stuff, like all that is really good and helps you personalize experiences. But like, you have to care. Like it, 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 that's in your DNA, right? You either care or you don't care. I can't teach you to care and you can pretend to care, but at some point it'll be transparent that you don't care. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting. I, I argue, I shouldn't say argue, but I have some decent conversations with marketers around like, 
B2B and B2C. And like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I don't care because at the end of the day, you're talking to humans somewhere. Like you're not marketing to a company. I'm not selling my SaaS product to a company. I'm selling my, I'm selling a SaaS product to person A, human B, human C, human D inside of the, in, inside of the, the company. It's all people. And it's all, everything should just be about people. And if you can solve those people's pain points, the organization cuts a check on their behalf. Absolutely. So focusing on like talking to people then, what does it look like for your team and you, like when you're kind of developing these strategies and kind of doing a human, you know, centered design, right? What does that kind of look like? We have design researchers and strategic designers on our team that their sole job is to make sure a thousand percent that like we are only doing stuff that we hear or is supported by data. So we have two sets of um, researchers and designers. One is responsible for the more like qualitative data. So like insights driven from interactions with human beings. So we actually schedule and talk to people before we do anything. Um, so we identify who our persona is, we go out and we actually have, you know, ethnos with them. We have interviews with them, we have focus groups with them, and we're only just exploring what and trying to find what problems exist inside of their lives. Once we have those problems, then we do like some affinity mapping, like concepting and things like that. Um, and we take those concepts back to the, back to these people and we refine in a constant feedback loop. So all, when we get to a point where we actually are incubating an idea and building something, we can we don't build a single thing that hasn't been told that is a need by this by this group whoever we're trying to serve and i think the second piece of our our, our research is we now um, early on we didn't have this capability but now we do we have um, external researchers not external they're internal to our team but they focus on external data sets so they look at like national data um, regional data and like hyper local data that we can actually take and parse through that, pair it with our qualitative data, and have this whole thing that look that we can like look at and say, okay, here are the three to five problems that we need to solve that we've that have been told and validated to us by our user, by our potential user, but also later later on top of that is this other data set that says, okay, this is like government that like validated data or like research study data that says this is a problem as well. And that's really what helps us like prove to the organization that there's value in us investing more of our time in it and them investing capital in us to actually build something. But all along in the process, we are doing consistent, consistent research, even with our commercialized ventures that we have in market today. Um, we have um, customer panels for of like top users for everything that we always are talking to about features. We're always talking about problems that they have that we probably don't address today, but like, hey, that informs our roadmap for the future. Um, so everything, again, center of the bullseye, that human being. A lot of research, a lot of data. Yeah. And just to reiterate something that you hit on, Chris, which is this isn't just when you're designing new products and services. The feedback is also important for when you're revamping an existing product or service or program as well, right? Yeah. So that feedback can be like, I'm actually using this current service um, and I'm not happy with it, or it doesn't have X feature that I wish that it had that would be life-changing for me, or I would sign up for your SaaS, but uh, X, Y, Z. Um, so I think yeah. that's really important for people to, to understand too, is that that feedback never shouldn't stop. 
And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make uh, where they try human-centered design, but they don't, or design thinking, and they don't uh, keep that feedback flowing. Yeah, Megan, that's a really great point. So when you think about like stakeholders that can drive value from a process like this, it isn't just about solving problems externally for people. Like we do projects internally that are like operational efficiency projects. Now they're not the most exciting things that we love doing, but we know that like our process works internally and externally. So we have sometimes that like our users or our human at the center is a function at the organization that comes to us with a problem and says, hey, like we feel like we're using a lot of man hours here. Or we're spending a lot of time. We're spending a lot of money here. Like how can we look at our process and execute your methodology across that process and look where we can actually like fill gaps maybe or like optimize this entire you know make this thing more efficient um so there are internal stakeholders that are at the center of the bullseye sometimes too um we did a project that helped streamline all of our um like bank-wide data systems um that really really helped organize our our technology our our technology systems and tech departments across the bank as well so there's internal and external kind of people you can put at the middle of, of human-centered design as well. Chris, quantitatively, like how many people are on your team kind of doing all of that kind of work together? Yeah, so we have, I want to say 14 or 15 people now across a handful of cohorts. Wow. So we have strategic design, we have, mar we have marketing, we have go-to-market, we have engineering, we have uh, product, and then um, new ventures managers who oversee the larger bodies of work and organize the shared service model. Obviously, like a small business owner, right, is not going to have <laughs> 15 people on staff, you know, ready to do research yeah. and do all this kind of design work and stuff. If, if you could bring it down to like human-centered design for dummies in a way, what, <laughs> what's something that like maybe just one person could start doing in their business or their nonprofit, you know, to kind of start doing this research and kind of do a little bit of human-centered design? So it's interesting, people are probably doing this today without really knowing it. So if you're ever like at a donor event, like if your goal, you have a fundraising goal for a nonprofit, right? And you're at donor events, you're talking to people that have paid and donated to be there. I mean, you're having conversations with these people today and you're understanding what the stories are behind why they donated, right? So you're actually getting this and gathering this information now sort of informally, but you're not documenting it anywhere. You can't action against any of it. Um, so they're probably doing it today. Um, but it's really about thinking about like, what is, you know, we think our innovation sprints are about three months. So they're super quick. Um, they're super focused. And we, we think about, all right, in the next three months, like what area are we trying to like operate in? So when you look at a nonprofit, you can say like, what is our goal and, or like OKR for this? Well, that's a whole other conversation. You need OKRs to be able to do this stuff super effectively, um, which are like objectives and key results that are measurable. Um, so it's like looking at like, what is our goal for this quarter? And how can we think about like, who's in the middle of this for this, for what we want to accomplish? So if it's like you have a fundraising goal for the quarter at the middle, probably donors, but like what, who is that donor? Is it large organizations, large corporations, or are you looking at like individual $25 donors? If you're looking at like the smaller scale of like $25 donors, that's going to look a lot different of people you need to talk to versus large organizations. So like you can really, if you boiling it down to like, how do you get started today? Pick, 
right? Pick who you want to put at the middle of your bullseye. Is it your customer? Is it internally? Who is your stakeholder? Who you do you want to solve the biggest problem for? Um, and then find where those people hang out. If they call, if they're a small business and they come into your shop, have conversations with them. Think about it like an interview guide. Every customer that comes in at buy something, ask three questions. But the questions have to be mapped to like the problem you're trying to solve. So if you're trying to figure out like what, if you're a small little boutique and you're trying to figure out if you should carry shoes or not, start asking questions about shoes. Where do you buy your shoes? What kind of shoes do you buy this time of year? Like really try to understand that kind of stuff. And it can be as simple as that. Like someone walks into the shop, ask them three questions, but continue the same questions for a couple weeks, document the answers, and then kind of think about like, oh, what themes am I seeing here? And then you can actually have some information that came from people who are purchasing stuff from you um, that can actually like pull some pretty cool insight. Absolutely. I think it's important to remember too that like this doesn't have to be expensive. I just want to hit on that point, right? Like in that case, you can, it's you, the business owner, and you can have a notebook and a piece of paper next to your, your cash register or your POS system, right? And just being like, Wow, a lot of people actually, they spend like $100 on a pair of shoes. I think I could really serve my customers with what I'm looking at bringing into the store. Or actually, that's not really why people are coming to me. You know, they're looking more for accessories, actually, was a lot of feedback that I got. They're not really looking for shoes. Maybe I should start carrying scarves or handbags or something totally different. I know that like in the nonprofit space, I've used Google Forms. It's free. It's super easy to use. People aren't afraid to give that feedback because you can make it anonymous. Uh, and it's a great way just to like get started with an easy one to five scale. You know, how do you feel about this? Or how well did you understand this? Or how can I uh, provide you with additional X service? Or if I added XYZ, would you be likely to purchase? Those are really easy things to make that also don't have to be expensive. You don't have to be some kind of growth marketing, hack marketing expert to get started on those kinds of things. So I think that's a really great point. A lot, a lot of it is just really getting started. Like when you think about marketing in general, like as someone who has had his own agency, sold marketing services, like high ticket marketing services to a lot of like pretty large organizations, a lot of what we do is pretty like, oh, it's just that. Like, yeah, yeah, it really is. It's listening to people. It's figuring out what is figuring out the stories they want to be told and creatively figuring out a way to tell those stories. Like, it's really not yeah. like wild, right? In the, in the, it, a lot of it is just getting started. It's like, why do people have large followings on social? Because they got started and they started posting, right? And it's not these like crazy growth hacks. It's like, you know, sometimes it's like brand partnerships and cool stuff like that. But a lot of it's just like, hey, being consistent, being thoughtful, showing up the right way, and gathering information that is important to you. Listening, listening. Paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's in front of you. Right. And and a lot of these, a lot of these nonprofits, a lot of these small businesses are natively just having conversations with people that come in today. Again, you're at these foundations, you're at the 5K that like your nonprofit puts on, you're talking to people that are running and they're telling you why they're running, right? Like I, I run a couple different 5Ks every year for a couple different charities that mean, the charities mean something to me. And I always tell my story why I'm there supporting it. And you're hearing it, right? But are you documenting it? Are you, and, and documenting what emotions you saw me have when I was telling the story. So then the next time 
you're putting together a marketing video or something, you can say, oh, you know what? I talked to like 10 people at the last 5K and I, they really got emotional around this like one specific piece. That's something we should probably talk about. Kind of like fitting the, finding the puzzle piece to kind of plug in there. Yeah. A lot of this could seem very jargony, right? To, to a small business owner, right? Maybe not somebody... <laughs> Being like, okay, what is, what are all these growth metrics, KPIs, blah, blah, blah. If you could give an example, Chris, of maybe another brand or a big brand or something you've worked on, what's kind of an example of it? I am a big fan of MasterCard. Um, their CMO, I think, does an incredible job in, the, um, in, in two places. One, in focusing on putting people in the middle. Um, and two, in innovative marketing. So one thing that they did, um, which they came out, I want to say it was probably around this time last year. Um, so they came out with a new product um, called Touch Cards. So there is, I want to say like worldwide, there's like a shade over 2 billion people that have some type of vision impairment. So one of their biggest problems is trying to figure out which card is in their wallet to use. So um, MasterCard went out and talked to a bunch of people um, that have you know, vision impairments, found that that was like the number one problem. So what did they do? They made a very simple solution with their cards. They have three cards. They have a credit card, a secure credit card, and a debit card. Each has a different ridge on the side of it. Oh, that's amazing. So you can reach into your wallet, your purse, your bag, and you can feel for the card, and you know exactly which card you're going to use, right? So what did they try to do? They tried to make their products more accessible for people who have vision impairment. That's amazing. I've... And how do they go about solving that? A very simple solution. It was just as simple as that is making a different ridge. Yep. And now they can serve 2 billion people globally better. And that's something that other companies aren't doing. So it's a huge differentiator. So I might be more likely to go with MasterCard than with Visa or Amex or Discover if I knew that because I am vision impaired. Mm -hmm. So that's an amazing example. I know that's been a huge critique even of the US dollar. We're one of the few currencies that doesn't have a tactile um, way of differentiating between our money. All the bills are the same shape. They have the same texture. They don't have any kind of tactile features that help people uh, tell the difference between a, tw a 20 and a $100 bill, which you can imagine like, if someone knows that you have vision impairment can very easily, you know, scam you out of, you know, 80 bucks or whatever. That's a really great example. A couple of things there, Megan, to kind of like tag on to what you yeah. were saying. Like one, I mentioned mm -hmm. a little bit earlier about pretending to care. Mm -hmm. That is a very good example. Like the U.S. government and our currency pretending to actually care, right? Like they will say like accessibility is super important. And then we make money very inaccessible for people who have <laughs> vision impairments, right? So, so it's true. like, it's like okay, yeah, you, yeah, you like you care, but like obviously you don't because if I'm blind, I can't tell the difference between my money. Right. So in the second piece is when you think about big finance, there are credit card servicers that all the big financial institutions partner with to service their credit lines. What would differentiate outside of like cash and like how much it costs? large financial institutions to partner with either Visa or MasterCard. MasterCard now gives 2 billion people better access to credit cards. So if I'm a large financial institution, I get access now to 2 billion people. Okay, like that sounds great. Now maybe I will switch from Visa to MasterCard now. 
U.S. Bank or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, right? All these credit card companies service these organizations. So um, it's a way for MasterCard to like gain market share in larger orgs as well by just being human centered and being accessible to people that have a need. Right. I think it's really important for people to remember too that with the the empathetic side of human centered design that you're often solving a problem that um, sometimes was like unknown or undiscovered or like people didn't even know that they had this problem, right? So for let, let's talk about a, a different example, but it also relates to this MasterCard example, right? So uh, in, in my apartment building, there is a wheelchair accessible button to open several of the like public facing doors, right? But I, I am not a handicapped person. I'm not in a wheelchair, but I have a child and I use a stroller all the time. I use that button all the time. So I can see how MasterCard maybe is appealing to like you, you might use that feature even if you aren't vision impaired. I might be like fidgeting around in my purse being like, man, where did that one card go? Oh, I can feel it. I know where it is, even though I'm just you know, can't see well inside of my purse, right? At that moment, I'm not permanently, um, you know, handicapped or disabled or vision impaired, but I might use that feature from time to time. So I think that's important for people to remember too. You don't know people have problems until you ask them about their lives and care about their responses and believe the stories that they tell. So Chris, is that something that you would say to like, again, a small business owner or maybe a new profit, you know, a nonprofit leader is that just ask questions. Talk, don't sit in your silos, like just talk to people like, or also like what we do too sometimes is we just go places and we observe. Um, yeah. So actually some of the things in my career that I, I, I built in other places were, came from just going someplace and watching, you know, so if you are a small business owner, like watch how people walk around your shop, watch how people walk around your store. Are they getting to the things and getting out of the things that you're putting out there what you want? Are they skipping over stuff? Are, is stuff too high for them? Like, there's so many things that you're just going to see today and brush over just because you probably aren't really paying that much of attention to it. When mom said so. it's not polite to stare, throw that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Chris, for hopping on today, talking about th these ideas that are, are going to ultimately help people's businesses and nonprofits all around. So thank you again for hopping on and sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Happy to be here. Chris, if they want to find anything out about you, reach out or anything, where can they find you? Yeah, you can you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's I am Chris Keller. Um, same thing with Instagram. That's more like my travel and like fun stuff and mostly my dog. But uh, yeah, happy, happy to have you along for the ride fun anyway, too. anyway you want to join. <laughs> nice. We'll leave all of his links in the show notes below. Thank you, Chris. See y'all. <laughs>